British government was promoting all this stuff 10 years ago. Um, it was calling for more Confucius Institutes and more partnerships with China, and it was encouraging universities to do what they have done, which is to turn a willful blind eye to all this stuff. Actually, to turn a willful blind eye to the rights of staff and students who have connections to China. Coming up on British Thought Leaders, I sit down with Sam Dunning, a former investigative journalist who runs the charity UK China Transparency. Sam talks to us about the Chinese Communist Party's influence in UK universities through Confucius Institutes and investment by state-owned tech companies. So if you are providing the electronics, the software, the cameras or whatever towards a 1984-style state that has control over more than a billion people, I'm afraid there are some ethical issues that we need to talk about, right? And if British universities, again, with their highfalutin uh, moral uh, ideals are helping this company, well they need to think about that. They need to think about whether that's in line with, with, with the values they support. He also raises the alarm bell about the West trusting the new, more authoritarian China. Is it this guy is pretty harsh. Uh, you know, he is conducting ethnic cleansing in Tibet and Xinjiang, some would say Mongolia too. Um, he's made clear that intent uh, to absorb Taiwan one way or another, and this pretense that it could be peaceful, you know, when the Taiwanese people aren't that keen on the idea. It's, it's an obvious threat of military action. I'm Lee Hall. This is British Thought Leaders. Sam Dunning, thank you for joining us on British Thought Leaders. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You recently started a charity called UK China Transparency. I wonder if you could talk to us a bit about what the charity's mission is and how it will achieve this. Yeah, sure. So UK China Transparency is a registered charity uh, here in the UK. Uh, its first goal is to promote education about ties between the UK and China. So first of all, that's producing research. We will be producing original research. We have already done so. Uh, and second of all, publishing primary data. So we looked at the sort of state of play uh, in the UK with regard to knowledge about ties between the UK and China, and we decided that something really valuable, uh, public service, if you will, be to host a uh, digital library of primary sources that can be searched, found on the internet, uh, so on and so forth, to really support uh, the public in general, people who want to learn more about ties between the UK and China, um, but also academics, policymakers, activists, you know, anyone really. Yeah. Uh, and our second goal, uh, along with the education stuff, uh, is promoting transparency and good governance. You know, um, we have here in the UK, uh, in our businesses, in our institutions, universities and in government, you know, a wide ranging relationship with China. I think in terms of relations with any foreign country, Transparency can be really helpful, important, um, but especially with a uh, foreign dictatorship, and there is no dictatorship on the scale of, of the CCP's China, uh, and I think promoting transparency is going to be really valuable, actually, uh, moving forward in the future, because we know that these authoritarian states, they're not fundamentally transparent. You know, you don't have freedom of information laws in China. You can't ask the government for information about, you know, whatever, really. It's a much more closed-off society. So in our as a democracy, our relationship with this country, I think we need to focus on transparency. Uh, and that's our second goal. 
we recently had Matt Ridley on the show and he was talking about transparency and the difficulties he had in uh, investigating the origins of COVID. I think China obviously not really well known for their transparency. Why is it important to focus on this? Uh, I think it's important because we are dealing with an authoritarian society that is not about democracy, power to the people, information to the people and so on. It's about the aims of the regime. The CCP's aim is to stay in power and to make itself more powerful. And, you know, responding to requests for information, be it from international partners, other countries, the World Health Organization, whoever, it's not on their priority list out of principle. Uh, it's simply not. They want to stay in power. They want power. So in our interactions with this country, with the regime and with bodies, institutions from China, all of which are a subject to the authority of the CCP, we need to really uphold our own standards because we often see, I mean, we see this in, uh, you know, financing deals in African countries, in deals with British universities, you know, across the board in terms of China, its institutions, companies and its government interactions with the rest of the world. There can be this insistence on opacity, this desire to do things behind closed doors. And actually, democracies such as the UK, and we're, our charity is focused on the UK, should be upholding, for the good of our citizens, our normal standards of transparency in our dealings uh, uh, with the CCP and the country that it controls. I know one of the big projects you're looking at is to do with the Confucius Institutes. I remember Rishi Sunak, when he was uh, campaigning to become leader of the Conservatives, that was one of his... Uh, goals they put forward. He was going to ban these Confucius Institutes from infiltrating our, our universities, but I think he's since backtracked. Mm. But could you talk to us a bit about what these institutes are and, and what they're doing? So a Confucius Institute is a partnership between a British university on the one hand and a Chinese university on the other hand. Uh, the partnership is overseen uh, by the Chinese government, essentially. Uh, so these institutes are based in British universities with the cooperation of the Chinese government and a Chinese partner, usually a university, there's a few exceptions. Uh, ostensibly, the main goal is to teach Mandarin uh, and to sort of give a show of Chinese culture. Uh, it's known, and there's research uh, on this question, I know because I, I wrote, contributed to some of that research, that actually the Confucius Institutes in the UK are not solely doing Mandarin language teaching and cultural work. So there is involvement in political and business networking, there is involvement supporting British universities to set up scientific, technological research and development projects with Chinese partners. Uh, there's a whole range of stuff. I mean, one of the Confucius Institutes here in London runs an acupuncture clinic, okay? So it's not just Mandarin teaching uh, and culture. Um, UK-China Transparency, we have just produced a project on Confucius Institutes. We wanted to look at the question of whether they're actually legal. Right. So there's a few elements to this. One of the most important elements, and I think it's, it's critical that universities take this seriously and that the regulator take this, takes this seriously, and I'll, I'll get onto that in a moment, uh, is the question of the recruitment of staff for the Confucius Institutes and the obligations that those staff have. So every institute, with a couple of exceptions, has staff from China. Uh, these staff are recruited by the Chinese partner university or partner institution. So that recruitment is process, sorry, is done in China and those staff come over to work in a British university or are sent out to schools but still based to teach Mandarin but still based at British University. So we discovered uh, that the recruitment process for those staff is illegal under British law. Right. Okay, so you're 
You're, you're telling people that they have to promise not to get pregnant if they're going to get this job. You're saying no one over 35 or 45. Um, you're asking people to guarantee they're not a member of illegal organizations. I mean, you know, you guys know very well that that's an incredibly broad, discriminatory, uh, oppressive category that includes Christian groups, Muslim groups, Falun Gong groups, Buddhist groups, what you name it, people who just want to practice their religion, uh, who are being oppressed by the CCP. If you want to work at a British university, uh, recruited by that British university's Chinese partner to go and work at the Confucius Institute, you have to say, I'm not a member of any of these groups, mm. and that's illegal under British law. Okay, uh, so this is one really important point that we wanted to highlight. You know, British universities who talk, you know, a great game about their values, diversity, uh, equality, and so on, are part of this. They are involved in providing employment to people recruited in this awful way. The second facet of this process that we uncovered and we translated Chinese government documents, so on and so forth, it's all on our digital library online. But the second uh, facet um, is the obligations upon those same staff with regard to their behavior towards other people at the university. So I'll give you a concrete example. Uh, these staff who are coming to work at British universities are evaluated for their appropriateness for the job uh, on the basis of their ability to enforce party discipline overseas. Okay, so what that means is that the Chinese government at least is saying, we want people to go from China into British universities who are good at surveilling on, informing on, and possibly intimidating and threatening their peers, because that's what party discipline is in China. It's, it's uh, making sure everyone toes the party line. You know, don't talk about Taiwan. Uh, mm. It's not a country, okay? Uh, don't talk about um, the Uyghurs, um, unless, of course, they're having a great time. You know, you have to toe the party line. And they are recruiting staff for British Confucius Institutes at British universities on the basis of their ability to do this enforcement work. Do British universities know that this is happening? They do now. Uh, you know, this is the point of our research, is to alert them to this. Now, we can talk about history uh, and about why they haven't realized this themselves. They really should have, actually. But um, it's quite clear, looking at the past, you know, our, the British government was promoting all this stuff 10 years ago. Um, it was calling for more Confucius Institutes and more partnership with China. And it was encouraging universities to do what they have done, which is to turn a willful blind eye to all this stuff. Actually, to turn a willful blind eye to the rights of staff and students who have connections to China. Because if you're inviting staff to work at your university who have been recruited in this way, you are uh, putting in place a systematic threat to anyone with family in China or connections to China. Because potentially, if they are interested in politics, if they are interested in what's happening in Xinjiang or, or Tibet or wherever in China, and they want to talk about this, you know, there's lots of students and academics who are interested in this way and these issues. Mm. Um, well, they now are doing that in the knowledge that the staff at the Confucius Institute who are being recruited now and coming through from China have been recruited on their basis, on the basis of their ability to enforce party discipline overseas and to, to basically shut down those kinds of people. There is a fundamental systematic risk uh, and British universities now have to deal with this. We have, we have published all the evidence. We've got in touch with the uh, university's regulator in England uh, and I can talk um, in a moment about the responsibilities of the regulator, which have just evolved thanks to new legislation passed a couple of weeks ago. Um, but absolutely, universities know now, 
They know that the regulator has a remit to uh, take them to task for this, and they have to do something about it. It's a systematic threat. How many of these institutes are we looking at in the UK? There are 30 in the UK, okay. which includes, if I'm not forgetting, one online one with the Open University, which is an online uh, university. One Confucius Institute has shut in the past few years, uh, and that's at SOAS, uh, the School of Oriental and African Studies in London. Um, and SOAS is you know, well known as essentially one of the UK's, if not the leading institutions on, uh, on Sinology, on the study of China. It's no coincidence that they've got their act together and shut the Confucius Institute. Right. Because, you know, unlike a lot of universities, they can be bothered to go and read what the Chinese government says in Mandarin about this program, the Confucius Institute program, how staff are recruited, what those staff are expected to do, so on. And no university can look at that material and in good faith say, we are protecting the interests of our Chinese members. You cannot claim to uphold freedom of speech, academic freedom, freedom from harassment and safeguarding, knowing that, that staff are coming into your university in this way. And it's just a, the clock is ticking, actually. Um, so the piece of legislation that I mentioned just now is the Higher Education Freedom of Speech Act. Uh, so that was that came into uh, received royal assent uh, a few weeks ago. Um, it empowers the Office for Students, which is the university's regulator in England, um, to essentially enforce the requirement of universities to protect freedom of speech and academic freedom. Uh, the new powers are you know, really quite broad. Uh, theoretically, if a university was uh, not upholding its responsibilities with regard to academic freedom and freedom of speech, um, the Office for Students is going to have the power to deregister uh, that university, which means they can't like, offer degrees, they essentially can't be a university. Registration with the Office for Students is a must for universities in England. So, you know, this is serious. Sticking with the, the subject of universities, uh, yourself and the trustees from your charity are alumni of Jesus College in Cambridge. And your website says you, you share a concern about the connections between the, the college and the Chinese Communist Party. Yes, I mean, so I, I worked on this stuff um, in my when I was an investigative journalist, which I've you know, uh, been been working in that in that role for a couple of years now, uh, which is how I got interested in, in China and so on and so forth. I, I went to Jesus College when I was a student, uh, and I'll, I'll 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 be candid with you. You know, when I was there, it was kind of like a running joke amongst uh, lots of people that the college was getting a lot of money from potentially, um, you know not the straightest people in China, people who might be doing something dodgy. Uh, you know, a huge building was erected while I was there, um, uh, which was funded partly by uh, Chinese money. I've since written about how one of the um, Chinese billionaires who gave money towards the college, to the college for this, uh, was put on the Interpol red list a few years, right. uh, late, a few months later by, by China. Now that doesn't necessarily mean he's done anything wrong because this can be political, right? Fled to the US, uh, was indicted for visa fraud and I, I, I believe has now been convicted. So there was this, you know, culture of no due, no due diligence. Um, but it was actually much wider and, and this is how I got into China, as I say. So I started uh, researching the activities of a charity that was closely linked to the college, uh, the Cambridge China Development Trust. It was training, it's a charity, right? Mm -hmm. It was training top CCP officials who run state-owned enterprises in China. So these are some of the biggest companies in the world. Um, and it was training. 
their uh, managers, so essentially CEOs and deputy CEOs, they would come over to the UK for like two weeks um, and they would get to go to the foreign office. Um, they would get to visit the headquarters of the sponsors of this program. So companies like HSBC were giving you know, huge amounts of money um, to this charity to run this training program. Uh, get to go to the scientific labs in Cambridge, you know, you name it. Um, I just was so interested in all this. Um, and I met these two other alumni um, of the college who are, who are much older than me. Uh, and, uh, you know, they have some knowledge of the university sector, but also, you know, uh, being older than me, they have experience in the world. And they know that this, this stuff can be more widespread. And actually there is this element of the UK-China relationship that evolved in the last 10 years where a lot has happened. And actually we need to take stock of what's happened and learn a bit more about how that bilateral relationship evolved very quickly after 2013. Um, and so that's where the idea for the, for the charity UK-China Transparency originally stemmed from. Um, we are still planning uh, work on universities um, and on, um, you know, our alma mater as well. Uh, we just think it's important that more light is shone on, on, on these issues, on these relationships. Mm. Um, you know, Jesus College, uh, it, it turned into a real mess. The college in the end was forced to do an internal review which instigated quite widespread changes to the China Centre. The college had a China Centre um, and so on and so forth. You know, when I speak to academics and students across the UK, uh, there are many of them who are facing up to something that is not quite appropriate, an arrangement that's not quite appropriate with a Chinese partner. Um, safeguarding issues in terms of like what it means for Chinese students especially, um, but also Chinese academics. A lack of transparency about funding. Mm. Um, potentially it could involve you know, sensitive research that has got through the UK export control regime, but you know, maybe isn't uh, in the national interest. There's a need for more transparency. There is a need for more transparency and that's what we want to support. I was reading about Huawei donating tens of millions to British universities. This is a, a Chinese state-owned technology company, again, giving large amounts of money to our, our British institutions. And should we be worried about this? Yes, well, Huawei would say that they are privately owned, but I think you could argue they're state-controlled, right? Um, yes, I think it's, um, we, we should have more public information about Huawei's imprint in the UK. You can put it that way, right? Um, this is a company who, uh, in the past, have been uh, implicated in providing surveillance technology. Uh, you know, if you are providing the electronics, the software, the cameras, or whatever, towards a 1984-style state that has control over more than a billion people, I'm, I'm afraid there are some ethical issues that we need to talk about, right? And if British universities, again, with their highfalutin uh, moral uh, ideals, are helping this company, well, they need to think about that. They need to think about whether that's in line with, with, with the values they support. Um, yes, yeah, so Huawei is, is one of those companies, but there are, there are others. I mean, take Chinese arms manufacturers uh, as another example. They have an imprint in the UK, uh, be it relationships with British businesses who might be their suppliers or universities who are helping them with research and development. Um, under Xi Jinping, China's made very clear that uh, Taiwan shouldn't exist and potentially needs to be conquered. And that's basically what they're saying. Uh, do we want to supply a military that is an avowed intent to invade uh, a democracy, to kill 
tens of thousands, potentially more of innocent people who are living freely. Um, do we want to help the CCP prepare for that? Again, I'm afraid universities have to actually ask themselves this question seriously. Um, so there's a whole range of issues. Uh, and much of this stuff that was set up during the so-called golden era of UK-China relations um, is overdue scrutiny. And, and we've kind of taken some steps towards that, but I think there's, there's more work to be done. And moving forward, uh, under this government, it looks like some actors, be it in the university sector or uh, business um, or wherever, actually, feel like maybe um, we are rowing back a little bit and some of these partnerships can be renewed or new things can be set up, so, so on and so forth. So it's not just about reviewing the golden era, it's also about what's developing now. And at UK China Transparency, we want to help um, produce research, support education and help the public understand you know, this history, this process, what's actually happening. You see various things in the news about companies like Daha and Higvision, and they're providing mm. these surveillance equipment. They're getting put into government buildings here and institutional buildings. It feels risky. The, the, the Chinese Communist Party influenced uh, technology is in our most important buildings. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, we need to learn more about this. Um, I know as well that, that um, one very important area is cellular modules. So this is, you know, tiny chips and bits of hardware that end up in all kinds of things these days. You know, everything from your um, washing machine to huge uh, pieces of equipment in factories. Oh, to the Internet of Things. Exactly, the yeah. Internet of Things, right? Um, I want to just return to this idea of, of the 1984 state that we're buying so much electronics from. You know, I think we really need to have an informed conversation about whether that's wise in the long term to support the high-tech industries of China, this state that's, that facially recognizes all its citizens, you know, locks up minorities, uh, and so on and so forth. Whether we really want to make them the, uh, the high technology power of the future, help them doing that by buying their products, sending over our data to them, uh, supporting their research and development, you know, it's, it's potentially quite a senseless thing to do and very short-termist. Um, so absolutely, we need an informal conversation and we at UK China Transparency are there to publish information, you know. Uh, we will do research and, and um, try and interpret data, but we're also just putting all our data online so that anyone um, Journalists, academics, policymakers can have a more informed view on these things. Uh, do you, are you seeing a big difference since Xi Jinping came into power from the regimes before? Yes, and I think um, people from policymakers to the general public, to academics to people in business, I mean, this is a very current topic of conversation in business, need to be aware this is not just, you know, authoritarian CCP, China under the authoritarian CCP. It's Xi Jinping's version. And what's been very clear uh, as the last sort of decade or so of, has gone on since Xi Jinping came into power is that this guy is pretty harsh. Uh, you know, he is conducting ethnic cleansing in Tibet and Xinjiang, some would say Mongolia too. Um, he's made clear that intent uh, to absorb Taiwan one way or another. And this pretense that it could be peaceful you know, when the Taiwanese people aren't that keen on the idea. It's, it's an obvious threat of military action. 
uh, he's turning China into a black box, you know. Uh, I have used various points uh, in my career, uh, resources like uh, China's courts, court decisions database, uh, where you used to be able to see decisions from courts about all kinds of commercial things, whatever, from all around China. Gone. You can't get that now right. if you're here in the UK or outside of China. Um, patents database, these have a patents database, gone. Procurement data, gone. Uh, they're raiding uh, Western due diligence companies who support actually the rule of law internationally. You know, so when there's a big um, you know, commercial case between a Chinese company and a company from another country, um, each side is going to gather intel and information and the truth, try and gather the facts so that they can make their argument. Mm. Um, if China is, as it is, you know, raiding the offices of the, of the companies that do that intel gathering, um, law firms, so on and so forth. You know, this is an attack on the international rule of law. Um, so there's all these respects in which, in which Xi Jinping is closing off China, closing it off from the world. Um, yeah, I would say he's a serious, nasty dictator. Um, and it's, it's uh, you know, China under him today is, is a world away from the China of 20 years ago, um, which was no easy place to be Falun Gong practitioner or a Uyghur Muslim anyway, you know, it's just got harsher, more repressive, I would say more racist, I would say more sexist, uh, I would say more expansionist, I would say more fascist. I think we have to actually be honest here about what we're seeing. Oh, before this, you were an investigative journalist, so you, you uncovered some pretty kind of interesting stuff about what the CCP is doing, and now you formalise that with your charity. Have you ever felt kind of in danger or threatened? Um, yes, to a degree. I mean, anyone who Googles me and goes on my uh, Twitter account, for example, can see that I've made some pretty serious allegations about someone I say is linked to organised crime. Um, you know, it's not something you do without maybe the fear of consequences. And uh, yeah, I think you have to be cognizant of that. I mean, we don't see Russia, uh, China sorry, doing what Russia um, has done in the last decade or two, you know, which is... Uh, say, coming to Western countries and, well, trying to assassinate people. That's what Russia was doing, right? Um, but uh, the trend in terms of the future and the future of China's power, some people would say it's quite clear. So, you know, yeah. But I, I don't, you know, I'm, um, I can be, I, I'm sometimes someone who's a bit wary of victim narratives. So I don't view myself as a victim in any way. You know, I speak to people who, who are in the UK who do feel much more at threat. Um, you know, people, say, who have connections to China, say, family in China. But those people are actually, you know, at risk and actually threatened. Uh, and, you know, I, I think first and foremost of them, them when I think of people who are um, suffering, really, um, because of their work on this issue. So I'm telling, thank you for joining us. I'm pretty sure you. Leaders. Cheers. It's been a pleasure. Thanks.